Morning, everybody. Thanks so much for spending time with us. I know it's a nice venue. I also am aware it's a bit snowy, so if you've braved the snow, I really appreciate it. My name's James. I'm from Social Circle. We've got a panel of awesome people here to discuss influencer marketing, kind of the rules, the regulations, the myths, and top tips. I've got a feeling that this awesome panel are going to do a better job than me of introducing them. So I'm going to let them do it themselves. But I just wanted to start with the reason why we're doing this. Um, we are an influencer business. We're a creator-first business. But we recognize the importance that brands and regulatory bodies and organizations play in that relationship, which is why we run these events on a regular basis. The next one, guess what? It might not even be in London. We might go somewhere not London. Who knew? Um, we're, we're looking at that now. The point of this one um, was kind of there was it was an element of serendipity about it in that last time there were loads and loads of questions about rules and regulations, uh, particularly around the ASA, the CMA. So guess what? We we kind of pivoted. We looked at the subject of the rules and regulations, and that's going to be we're going to focus on that. We're going to talk about a few things around that. Um, it's all about learning, so do feel free to ask as many questions as you want. I'm going to kind of come to you at about halfway through, at about half nine with any questions. You probably won't have had enough coffee, so I'll come back to you towards the end. That kind of is how it works. So firstly, let's uh, ask the panel to introduce themselves. I'm going to start with Jason. Um, if you could <laughs> introduce yourselves, and also, why don't we go with one top tip for a better influencer marketing campaign? Jason. Thank you. Uh, so my name is Jason Freeman. I'm a, a legal director at the Competition and Markets Authority. So I'm a, I feel a bit like um, kind of Darth Vader here, maybe. With, you know, we've come to put a, a spanner in the works to spoil your party. Uh, but we haven't. We, we, we try to help people to comply with the law. And we recently uh, produced some guidance for influencer marketing. Um, I think it was on the 23rd of January we put it out. So uh, my top tip would be to have a read of it. And then you'll probably uh, get, some, get a steer about what we're expecting. Sophie. Hey, um, hi, I'm Sophie. I am an award-winning blogger. I'm an influencer and, yep, mostly on fashion and lifestyle content. Been doing it for a while. But, yeah, my um, top tip for, I think it would be on a brand, sort of from a brand side and as an influencer side, pick the right influencers for your campaign and pick them for the right reasons. And from my perspective, it would be just pick campaigns that suit you because that's the best way to create the most authentic work, really. Ben. Hi there, I'm Ben Harrell. I'm content manager at Tenzing Natural Energy. Um, and my top tip would kind of be stolen from The Art of Loving, I don't know if anyone's read it. Um, and it's kind of the basis is we ask ourselves the wrong question when it comes to love and it's kind of how do we make people love us more? Uh, whereas the question we should be asking ourselves is how can we love other people better? And I think that can be translated into marketing. And I think social media should be, we should be focusing on the campaign. How can we give people on Instagram or Facebook what they love rather than trying to give them content that makes them love us? Nice, Dom. Uh, hi, so I'm Dom Whitehurst and I am head of digital engagement at media agency Wavemaker. What that ultimately means is I head up a team of absolute experts who understand how to make the best social content and run the best influencer campaigns. Uh, I guess, if that's not arrogant. Um, in terms of top tips, it's the least sexy answer given so far, but um, it starts with objectives. From a brand perspective, you need to understand exactly what it is that you want to achieve, and you need to therefore figure out if influencer marketing is the right way, and when it is, 
you want to spend a huge amount of time figuring out who are the best influencers and the right influencers for your brand and then let them fly. Best content is going to come by letting influencers do what they do best rather than trying to stick them in a box and add too many parameters. Cool. Christy. Hi, my name is Christy. I'm head of policy and regulatory affairs at the IAB. Uh, we're the trade body for digital advertising in the UK and Social Circle is one of our very lovely members. Um, so we work all across digital advertising with media owners, agencies, um, including agencies like Social Circle. We've got quite a few sort of influencer related uh, members. I look after, as my title suggests, policy and regulation in digital advertising. Um, I would say, I suppose I have to give a sort of regulatory top tip. Um, it would be, if in doubt, get some advice or check when it comes to disclosure and don't assume someone else is going to do it. Make sure it's been done. Rose. Hello, everybody. I am Rose. I'm from Social Circle. Um, I have, I'm slightly new to Social Circle. I've been there just for over two months now. Um, so I'm very excited to be part of the panel. Uh, honored <laughs> that you would love me on here. Um, I think my top tip probably would be to, if you're doing an influencer campaign, get in there. So dig in, follow some influencers, look at what they're doing, look at what you like, what's working, and then it doesn't matter if you're going to do an influencer campaign yourself or you're going to work with an agency doing it. You have to know something about it. And I think it's not something that you can pass on to somebody else without kind of, if you're involved, then you need to know a bit about it yourself. So kind of follow some influencers, search some hashtag ad campaigns and see what's out there and see what works. Okay, panel, feel free to jump in. Rose, I'm going to start with you. Are there any grey areas left with disclosure, with whether it needs to say hashtag ad? Where are the grey areas? What What are the common things you're hearing from social circle clients or beyond? Um, I think, I mean, those of us who've been in the industry for a while, we kind of had the whole cap code down um, and most of us understood that if you're doing an ad, you have to disclaim it um, if you're getting paid for content. Um, the recent events right now, what's been happening, obviously have kind of turned things a bit upside down. So instead of just looking at it from an, from an agency point of view, now we're also having to like look at it from a consumer's point of view. So I think that's the main thing that kind of gotten people a bit confused about what's actually needs to be disclaimed and what doesn't. Um, but I think there's a, some good material out there that you can read um, that if you want to know the rules, it's definitely possible to figure it out. Um, and I think looking at it from a consumer's point of view is, to me, just as important. I create content for consumers. Um, we want the consumers to enjoy the content that we produce, um, if it's sponsored, and obviously for influencers, if it's not. Um, and I think the value exchange in terms of hashtag gifting um, has confused people a little bit. Um, but from my point of view, I think it's so important to for consumers to know what's going on. Um, and hopefully, in the end, disclosing gifting opportunities um, might mean that influencers also look at what's actually valuable for my con for, for my audience, what's valuable for me to show. Um, so I think it's going to kind of be quite interesting to see how that's going to affect uh, the industry. I'd love to hear from Dom and or Ben on this. Are there grey areas from a from a brand's perspective, or, or do you get it? Are, are the guidelines clear? I think so far in our campaign, it's been fairly clear because we just have didn't want to even tiptoe the line of kind of uncertainty and just said, if it's anything to do with us, it's hashtag ad or hashtag gifted. I think the gray area kind of arises in the future when the, you know, we say we give someone a water bottle in six months time when they still use it, they still sponsoring that or if they buy us subsequently, is that then gifted as well? Kind of when is it finite, the whole kind of disclosure? Okay. I, I guess from our perspective, um, We've we've gone down a similar route. We've been super conservative because 
you have to be if you're not going to fall foul of, of regulations. Um, but I think um, outside of, of making sure that you're disclosing any kind of promotional activity, um, it's a really positive move that we're having a this conversation and that I think because of the some of the disruption that's been caused by the CMA and confronting the industry a little bit, what we'll find is that there are new tropes that are formed. So hashtag spawn and hashtag ad and, and all of the hashtags that exist and some of the behaviors that exist have kind of been thrown up because people have taken a position on what it is, what is the right way to look at disclosing uh, promotions and, and advertising and, and gifting. And some of those have obviously been shown to be incorrect and, and fall foul of the law. So therefore, we're going to find new tropes which do follow regulation spotting up. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see what the new way that people disclose is and the, the norms that people follow. Uh, and then it's going to be much more straightforward for everyone and, and there are fewer grey areas. Sophie, from a creator's point of view, do you still get people saying, oh, don't stick a hashtag ad on it? Do you still get people trying to break the rules? And are the rules clear to you and the creator community? Um, from, well, when it comes to brands, I've never had anyone say, do not disclose this. As Actually, no, I have had one brand tell me not to say that the blog post that I did for them was sponsored, even though it was paid. But this was a couple of years ago, and I was I just said straight up to them, I was like, I am not that's I'm I'm not going to do that. I'm going to disclose it. I've been paid for this. This is what I'm going to show. I, and it, for me, it comes down to the fact that I'm proud of the brands that I work with. I want people to know that it's an ad because also it's very clear to the consumer. But I think grey areas. Up until recently, a lot of people have been putting like they'd maybe put hashtag SP instead of or hashtag spawn. And I've always wanted to stick with ad. I haven't necessarily always put it at the start of a caption, but at the end. And I think what I think is good about these new guidelines is the fact that I think some of this thing, some of this is cleared up. I think that it's important that if it is an ad, it is disclosed without people having to click further. But I think right now there is that confusion around the gifting side of it all. Like, uh, you know, like we, we've said, w w how do you disclose that? Is it ad gifted? Is it an ad? Is it gifted? Is it ad gifted? And it's it gets a bit confusing. And I think that is a kind of where we're at, at the moment. But in general, I think these strict regulations are so, so, so important to get rid of the grey areas. So, uh, before we come to Jason and Christy to hopefully smooth over any grey areas, I'm going to be really mean to you, Sophie. Here okay. we go. Let's say you'd worked with a beauty brand, let's say Soap and Glory, like a year ago. Yes. And let's say this year they sent you a birthday cake, right? And you opened the birthday cake and you featured it on your Instagram channel. Would you have to disclose it? What would it? What would you say around that? Um, are we talking about an Instagram story or a feed post? Blimey! Uh, <laughs> now, now we're going really specific. Let's say an Instagram story for the sake of argument, because um, I know that's a more complicated. Well, answer. to be honest, the answer is actually the same for both, but it's easier in a Instagram story. To I would put gifted. I'd say this is gifted um, in text written over an Instagram story, and I'd probably be like, oh, Soap and Glory have sent me this cake and this thing. This is great. Thanks, like that kind of thing. But I'd tag them. I'd tag them. I'd say that it's gifted because I want to give full disclosure on that, and I I don't want to I don't want to get in trouble. So you see the point I'm making though, and it's exactly the point Ben touched upon. Is it was gifted then, but it relates to a previous commercial partnership. That's one. Of the, anyway, look, I'm being silly, Sophie. I appreciate you you going with it there, Jason. <laughs> first of all, what's new? about these guidelines that came out on the 23rd of January, if anything? So, in a sense, nothing is new in the sense that the law that we're seeking to uh, explain has been in force since about 2009. So, it's not new. 
Um, as we, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the last few years looking at endorsements and reviews and uh, now social media endorsements particularly. And you can see over time people's business practices change. And the challenge that we face as a regulator is applying uh, the principles-based law that we enforce to all of these new emerging situations. And I can see from your perspective that as something new happens, you might think, okay, well, how does this fit within the law? And there may be a period of time when there's a bit of uncertainty about how your particular practices fit within the law. So what is new then from the, purpose of, from the, from the perspective of the guidance is bringing that clarity to say this is how we think in respect of the practices that we've seen, this is how the law applies, this is the sort of thing you should be doing. They're not rules in the sense that, you know, it's up to you. If you want to comply with them or not, you can uh, take a choice. But if you don't comply with them, you're at risk of enforcement by people like us or trading standards. And the consequence of that can be quite painful. Um, so in the situation most recently, we asked a number of influencers to uh, agree to change their practices. And we recorded that publicly. Um, however, people can face court action. They can face um, uh, criminal prosecution in you know, the most extreme circumstances none of which is new either. So it, is anything new? In a sense, no. In a sense, we hope we've given clarity to you. And my slightly silly example a moment ago, are the CMA aware of, if there are any grey areas, that there, there could be a, a few remaining blurred lines? Or do, or do you think we've cracked it? Well, I'm, sh I'm sure. I'm sure as people come up with new ideas and they, they think about how can I... Uh, have some interesting marketing campaign, there will be new grey areas because that's how um, advertising seems to develop. But I, I think that the, as a rule of thumb, it, it's best to think about, well, what information does somebody need for an authentic experience? Uh, if there's some kind of deception going on or you're trying to kind of get around the rule, then that's when you're going to be in the grey area because you're creating it. And you're, th you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't want to disclose that this is a paid partnership. I don't want to disclose this is an advert. I don't want to disclose the commercial connection between me and the influencer, say. And so I'm going to suggest this bright new idea that I haven't personally thought about yet, but you might have done. Um, and, and that's where you start to wander into some kind of danger territory, I would say, as an enforcer, because that's where you could end up a bit down the line. We come along and say, well, hang on a minute. We don't think that that was, that was legal at the time that you did it. So I think think about from the, from the consumer's perspective, what would you want to see? If you're shopping around, you're, you're on uh, social media, you're, you're trying to have an authentic experience, what sort of disclosure would you want to see? What sort of uh, product would you want to see there to, to help you to make uh, the right kind of purchasing decisions uh, would be my second top tip of the day. Jason, I promise to stop picking on you. We'll, we'll chuck it out, uh, up to the rest of the panel in a second. But finally, what's the difference between the ASA and the CMA? The CMA are talking to the creators, the ASA are talking to the brands. Is it a broader distinction? Ex explain. Well, um, so I mean, I don't work for the ASA, so they, they, they would have to, you, you get a better explanation from them. But we tried to explain this in another uh, guide <laughs> that we produce with the ASA. Um, uh, when was that? That was was that late last year? I think it was uh, late last year. We produced um, a, a guide which we jointly badged with the ASA, which the in the intention of which is to is to make this a bit clearer. Um, I think essentially we look at all elements of the uh, of commercial practices. So if you're doing anything which is directly connected in some way with the promotion, sale, or supply of a product to or from consumers, then we say you have to comply with the law which we enforce. The ASA seem to have much more of a focus on do you control the output in some way? And I think there's been a lot of 
um, head scratching done about well, what does control amount to? Because you know, if if, if you control the the output, then the ASA is going to come and get you if you if it goes wrong. I would say, from our perspective, just leave that to one side. The issue is, are you are you in any way involved in the creation of content which is promoting product to consumers? Uh, and if you are, then you need to be aware of what the law requires and ensure that you comply with the law and you do as best you can to ensure that other people you're working with also comply with the law. And the CMA talked to creators. They hold the creators responsible or the brands too or us in this room, the marketers, the public <laughs> relations professionals, or everybody. Yeah, we hold everyone responsible. <laughs> so we don't, we, there's, not, there's not some kind of loophole you're going to find easily, we think, that you're going to say, hang on, it's not me, it's actually them. So if you, if you exercise control, so for example, uh, you're, you're creating some kind of nice campaign and you've got a very clear contract that says, um, we're going to pay you money and we want you to disclose the connection. Um, disclose it. There it is. And uh, you can present that to us. And, and it, somebody, you know, let's say you've got some rogue influencer who doesn't want to do that and they don't do it. They don't disclose the thing. OK, we're not going to be coming holding you responsible specifically for that um, mistake that, that happened in your processes. But we might say you need to improve your processes in some way. So if this is happening regularly, what checking are you doing? Are you... Um, looking at the posts that, that your influencers are uh, delivering, are you following up with them and saying to them, look, you need to take that down because you didn't make the disclosure. So in other words, it's no good just having a contract that you don't enforce. Um, this isn't so much in the area of uh, uh, social media influencers, but in other areas. So with uh, secondary ticket platforms, um, we recently got a court order against Viagogo, which requires them to do certain checks uh, in respect of other people's sales, right? They're not directly selling tickets in these situations that other people are selling them and we're saying you have to look and see what's going on and so that's the kind of holistic approach we tend to take so looking forwards if you're thinking about having a business model where you have very clear contracts but somewhere in the background there's a conversation that says don't worry we're not going to enforce it uh, we wouldn't be happy with that and that's the kind of thing where we'd say well you're not doing your job effectively all right. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I will stop picking on you now, I <laughs> promise. So, Christy, I'm going to jump to you just for a second. Christy and I are really lucky because about once a month we get to sit on the IAB Social um, uh, Influencer Marketing Steering Group. What lucky people we are. Mm. And this past month, there was a real, it was only a couple of days ago, but there was a real feeling that actually the influencer marketing space is more tightly regulated than other bits of media, particularly other bits of digital media. That came, by the way, from the, not the IAB, but the, the people around the table, people like us and other platforms, other agencies. Christy, any thoughts on that and any thoughts on responsibility and what Jason has just said? Um, okay, how long have I got? Um, <coughs> I think in terms of responsibility, um, you were asking kind of who'd, who might the CMA go after or who might the ASA go after. Certainly when it comes to the cap code, ultimately it's the advertiser, but... All of these things are partnerships. So as I kind of said at the beginning, my advice would be to say it's a joint responsibility. You know, practically speaking, you're working together with a creator. Um, and and when you're doing that, you're not just, it's not just a commercial relationship. You're sort of, you're trading trust. So a brand is putting its trust in a creator. A creator is trusting, you know, their reputation and their audience um, to the brand as well. 
Um, so it's in everyone's interest to kind of work together and take joint responsibility. So, you know, a, a brand should certainly be saying what it expects in terms of disclosure, but equally creators should be asking. And if it's if the brand doesn't say, then ask the questions because if nobody says anything, it's most likely to, <laughs> to fall foul of the rules. Um, in terms of more or less regulated, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's a facet of the fact that this is a... Uh, you know, a new way of doing marketing, relatively speaking. Um, and so the rules, as Jason said, they're not, they're not new. They've been around for a long time and it has so has the cap code. The, the challenge is interpreting the rules in a new context. Um, and, you know, again, not all um, sort of influencer marketing is going to be the same. In fact, the beauty of it is that it's not. It's that there's so much creativity, there's so many options, there's so many different fun things you can do. Um, and then you've got to try and tie that back to, well, what label should I put on it? Um, and that's the challenge. And I think I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's tied to regulation. I think having been in kind of policy and regulation for a long time, the, the new shiny things are what attract regulators. <laughs> Quite rightly so, because they need to make sure that there's consistency and parity. Um, I can understand why it might look like uh, the rules are stricter here. Um, but I, as I said, I think that's a... F it's a consequence of there being so many different ways of doing it and making trying to make sure that all of those are still subject to the rules in a in a practical and sensible way um you know traditional media is regulated it is regulated differently and i can understand people might say well a product placement logo is nowhere near as clear as what we have to do if we have to put gifted or tag the brand i think it's a really interesting question but it does also come back to i think jason's point about what will people understand? Sure. And it, you know, it's a new media, it's quite complicated, and I think the clearer you can be, the better. Sophie, do you ever feel in any way creatively, uh, is your creativity <laughs> ever harnessed by regulations? Do you, are there things you want to do that you can't with brands? No, you know what, I'm going to be really honest. I would say absolutely not and when it comes in terms of creating a image or a video or a blog post um not not with the regulations obviously it depends on what the the brand's brief is but i think it more comes down for somebody i you know i've got a, a writing background and i like to be able to get quite creative in my captions and make them quite funny i think the only real risk for me comes realistically is having to really make that so ad heavy that it loses personality and i think that's a risk but realistically I, I don't really think that much creativity is hindered by it all I think I think it's all quite fine Ben either regulatory or creatively what do brands get wrong do you think when they're looking at this space um, <coughs> I think it all boils down to one of the biggest dis discrepancies in the industry is between what brands think they're buying and what influencers think they're selling and I think especially for the bigger brands with perhaps not say hard-nosed kind of digital marketers they find it perhaps hard to look past reach and they're making deals with 18 year olds, 19 year olds in their kind of parents' home. And you might, you know, traditionally buy a billboard, like your new influencer campaign isn't a billboard. You have to let them kind of run with it and harness the influencer's creativity and let them make content, you know, as, as, a, as a brand, you kind of spend a lot of money and a lot of time thinking about what your creative strategy is, what your message is, and you can't kind of stamp that onto an influencer's content. You have to kind of reverse engineer it with the audience you're going after and then their influences rather than trying to kind of impose your message or your creative onto the onto the influencer. 
And Dom, building on that, where does I'm fascinated to understand where influencer marketing sits within a business like WaveMaker. I mean, is it is it a communications tool? Is it a media buy? Who's who are the best practitioners, and and where where should it sit, and where does it sit? Um, that's a great question, uh, and I think it. So, the position of WaveMaker is that media works most ef effectively when it's bought efficiently and it's bought properly. But ultimately, the thing that has probably the biggest impact on the effect of an ad campaign or, or a marketing activity is the creativity and the content that goes with it. There's a great quote from Binet and Field which says that uh, creativity increases the effectiveness of a marketing activity by a factor of 11, right? So it's not just sticking something on TV or buying, uh, working with an influencer. It's, it's what they're saying and how they're doing and making sure that that resonates. Um, so I think to Ben's point, absolutely, we need to look at the outcomes that we're looking at in terms of influencer marketing. And, and this is where I think as much as uh, how we talk about the, the relationships between brands and influencers, um, and there's a certain amount of gray areas there, it's the, there's a huge amount or there's a huge lack of transparency within the industry in terms of what are you buying, you know? So previously you used to buy based on followers, but as we know, the Instagram algorithm, if that's what you're buying on, doesn't equate followers with reach. And so you're buying on a kind of false metric. Um, our position is very much that actually we want to make sure that the money that we're investing on behalf of our brands is going towards metrics that are going to result in actual business outcomes because otherwise what's the point and so we're really interested in engagements and clicks in, in measurable units that are going to demonstrate either attention or interest or some kind of consumer behavior so that's kind of where we're pivoting towards and that's where we're looking at influencer and, and it's interesting that the market is moving in that direction anyway yeah yeah, I'd agree. So outcomes, not outputs, I suppose. Rose, it sounds like from Dom's point and some of the other things we've heard, it's about marrying up the creativity and the data. How does Social Circle do it? Go on, bring it to life. Yeah, well, I think um, for a long time it's been what you guys touched upon and um, for brands to kind of feel secure to give up the creative to the influencers or at least some of it um, and that's what we've been kind of pushing for the last couple of years for the brands that I've been working with trust them they know their audience um, they know what what works and what doesn't um, and that's very much still the case um, and I think what's changed now is that we've run a lot of campaigns in my time I've run, run hundreds of campaigns um, and we've accumulated so much data from those campaigns. And I think it's time that the industry also starts to use that. So instead of just looking at what type of influence or what works, we also look at what type of um, audience we're reaching, how do they react to this type of content, um, which platforms perform best in terms of awareness, clicks, et cetera. So you can kind of categorize it in terms of um, what performs well with a beauty influencer on Instagram and uh, trying to get um, create awareness, create clicks and kind of pop it into different categories and then look at the bigger picture, um, which is something that we're working very hard towards um, using for our strategies. So instead of creating um, campaigns based on what we've done before, um, fun little cute um, awareness campaigns and let's get lots of Instagram posts out there, we're looking at what actually works for different types of brands, different types of content, different forms, different channels, and then kind of putting that all together to create tendencies and see what actually works um, 
when when you do campaigns and with which types which types of influencers. Um, and then I think it's we're at a stage right now where we need to marry the two. So you use that data and you use that knowledge that we've built over the past couple of years. And then on top of that, you can create some amazing, creative, fun, engaging content. But you need to kind of have build that on the knowledge that we've had, that we have. Sophie, from a creator's perspective, what what data are you happy to share? And are you ever aware of what a brand is buying from you? Just to jump on Ben and, and bits of Dom's point as well about is it is it their audience are after? Is it your awesome creative content? Why are brands coming to you? Okay, so to answer the first question about what data I'm happy to give, I'm always happy to give whatever the brand really wants because it's it's mostly always just like your demographics your like main audiences how like you know things that they should know and that actually unless you've got something to be really embarrassed about in which case they probably shouldn't be going to you for that that campaign anyway you know I, you'd, you'd be happy to give it so I'm, I never have any problem with that and in terms of knowing what a brand is getting from me I'm I'm usually quite aware of the brands who come to me quite obviously because they're like oh she's got good followers let's pick her because as soon as they tell you what they're after I mean say for example it might be I don't really do that much beauty work but I am mostly fashion and lifestyle but I'll get a beauty brand come to me and be like we want a product shot the campaigns to launch this product we want a product shot of this and they have clearly not really looked or thought too much about what kind of content I create because I mean, in a totally non-narcissistic way, my Instagram is basically just pictures of me and my outfits and things like that. So that's never going to work for me. So I think it's you can you can tell. Whereas I have had brands come to me in the past who have been like, "We we picked you for this campaign because we know you're really into using um, cleaner beauty products with no ad like all dodgy things in it, and we picked you for this campaign." And they've made a brief purely, you know x campaign for sophie milner and they've actually made it for me and for me i was like wow that's really nice that they pay attention to what i do and they're taking me valued on what my personal brand basis is based instead of being like she's got a lot of followers let's pick her so i think you can be it can be quite clear sometimes are you aware of the wider objectives of any particular campaign i know this is crazy and i know i'm not speaking english now but let uh, indulge me let me speak marketing gobbledygook are you aware of a communications objective versus a marketing objective are you aware of when the brand just want lo wants loads of click-throughs, things like that. Are they questions you ask or is there ever pressure put on you on the, in that basis? No, you know what, I'll be very honest, they're not, you, you kind of get, I don't know what those like actual terms technically mean, no, but I, you can kind of get an idea personally I feel, I'm not sure if it's because I've been doing it for some time, I tend to be able to, to, sense, to sense it based on the way that they treat you and the way that they deal with you in the emails. They might not necessarily come at you and it might not be entirely clear, but sometimes you, I think personally I get a bit of an idea and I, I tend to look at things on a broader aspect instead of thinking, oh, this is just money in my bank. This is just what I need to do. I want to think, I do like thinking, oh, I wonder who else is on this campaign. I wonder what the general message is. I wonder where else this campaign is going to be featured, but in different ways, like, you know, um, print media, like things on buses, things like that. So I kind of do like to think of the wider scope of it and where this all fits into it all. Okay. Um, just finally on this, Sophie, um, just one question on um, when you are talking to brands or agencies, name and shame, who are a nightmare to, de to deal with? Is uh, it agencies, brands, specialists, who? Oh, God. Um, well, actually, you know what? It's going very base level. I actually, they have got 
working with a client direct has its perks, but I also think working with agencies are great because you know they're going to have different clients as well that they're going to put you forward for. There is a company based up north I've worked with several times that sadly made that campaign for me the one where they made the brief for Sophie Milner and it took them six months to pay me and now I will never work with them ever again because that's the third time I've worked with them and every time it takes them like five or so months to pay and it's an agency that and it did it does put me off working with agencies because sometimes it, it, you're being passed from person to person you're not speaking directly with the brand you've got a lot of the time I've spoke to the brand directly, their representatives, and they've been really happy with the content I've created and they love it and they want me to post it. But then I've actually, but the agency have stepped in and been like, oh no, like it's not the same, like it's a bit too different to what the other, other influencers are creating. So can you go back and reshoot? But the brand are happy. I get that agencies have this thing, but then I think, I guess it's based on what you guys have said, it's not taking into consideration our own personal brands and what we can really bring to the campaign, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, yeah. Yeah. Has anybody got any questions at this juncture? Do put your hands up if you have. Um, oh, there is a question right at the back there. Go on, shout, sir, and I'll... Uh um, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know what, personally, I only work with brands that I really, really love and I'd hope most influencers do anyway. Um, and that, would, that I would actually go out and spend my own money on. I did, a when all everyone went a bit like crazy over these guidelines and like when they everyone started talking about them at the weekend, I did a poll on my story saying, will putting ads, because at the moment, well, before I'd been putting ads at the end of the caption and I said, if I start putting ads at the start of the caption, is that gonna make you guys less likely to engage with my content? And I think 38% said it will make them less likely to engage in my content. And then I had about messages from about 20 people saying they accidentally pressed the wrong one. So maybe take that down to about 35 to 34%. Still, that's quite a, a big amount of people. It's never, that's, but that's not gonna be enough to ever make me want to not disclose something. It's not gonna make me ever wanna risk my reputation. And also, like I've, I said before, I'm really proud of the brands I work with. If anything, I think that sucks and that if, if they don't want to see that out of their if they don't respect my choice and my brand choices that I choose to work with and that I'm being authentic and saying so, then that's that's completely up to them. But most people do really respect the fact that I'm being authentic with my choices. Uh, so that authenticity in influencer creator content is actually a subject that we can easily be broadened and look at everybody's point of view. And I'd love to do that if that's all right. Rose, let's jump to you. Hashtag ad, if you see that in a post and a piece of content, does the engagement immediately go down straight through the floor? What happens? No, definitely not. I think um, if it's good content, then people engage. And if it's bad content, then they don't. I mean, it doesn't really matter the hashtag ad if it's there. Um, I think also we need to give the audience some credibility or some like credit. They are aware of when it's a sponsored post. And I think me personally scrolling on my feed, if somebody hasn't put hashtag ad on there, but it's an ad, I know. Like we can, we can all see when it's an ad. Um, and I think I worked with Sophie back in the day on a confectionery, uh, uh, with a confectionery brand. And some of the con comments that we got from that, obviously full disclosure, they all knew it was an ad, was this is a dream collaboration. You've made it, you've worked <laughs> with this brand, we love it. 
credit. Um, so I think you need to look at the consumers. They're smart. They know, they know what's happening. So give them some credit. The ad is not going to make a difference to them. They already know. Ben, do you see a similar experience? And how do you identify the right influencers to work with as well? Um, kind of going back to Rose's point about consumers being smart, I think it's part of that. I think it's part that the influencer market has kind of gained such a maturity in a similar way that perhaps the classical 60s ads marketing in newspapers says, buy this car. I think, oh, I've been told to buy the car. I'll get this Volkswagen. Whereas now people are kind of wised up and they can spot an ad without the hashtag being there. And it's almost kind of paying courtesy to them and that kind of game respect makes people think, oh, okay, they're not trying to be deceitful, they're not trying to hide anything, and therefore I respect them more for that. Um, from like our brand's point of view, we sat down with our agency at the start of the campaign, which we're in the midst of this January, or, or February now, <laughs> um, and they said it doesn't make a difference to engagement, more or less. If anything, you know, it's shadier to try and bypass it in some way or another. And um, so, yeah, I'd say it's definitely, definitely not mm. for them. Dom, um, have you got... Any thoughts on the authenticity? And I just want to chat something else at you. We at Social Circle, we work with um, another WPP agency called Essence. And what's fascinating is the social team, and I'm, I'm making a sweeping statement to make a point. The social team wants shed loads of Instagram posts. That's what they want. The content team want really beautiful long-form content. Is that the way this is going? Is it is it a dichotomy? What's the right blend? I'd love I'd love your thoughts on the right blend and also one of authenticity. Uh, okay, I'll deal with them one Ooh. at a time if that's all right. Uh, so, to every, to everyone else's point, I think we track engagement rate on every single piece of content that we get because that's the best and most useful way that we've found to determine what's working and what's not. And we find that when you have a great collaboration, even if it is hashtagged up to the eyeballs and it's made absolutely clear that it's an ad or it's sponsored or it's endorsed in any other way, there is a pretty much inconsequential drop in engagement. People react to that content in exactly the same way. If the content is good and if it's a collaboration that makes sense, people will treat it just like any other piece of that influencer's content. So that's the first point to make. And I think the second point, therefore, is actually the thing that makes the biggest difference in terms of engagement rate and how people engage with that content is to do with, does that content look like it comes from that influencer? And so we've seen lots of uh, lots of content from, from other people and, and some kind of content that's been submitted on behalf of our campaigns where it just disrupts. You look at that piece of content, you go, yeah, I know it's from that person, but it doesn't look like they made it. Because, you know, it might have been that the brief was written in a really structured, stringent way because the brand team got too involved and they went, yeah, but it doesn't really fit our brand guidelines. And that's why I guess, and it's come from a couple of different people, it's really important that the selection of the influencer that you use makes sense, not just in terms of their audience overlapping with your target audience, but that they feel right for that brand. So it's the kind of, it's an influencer who is already a loved up advocate of your brand, for example, or they've got the right tonality or... That kind of thing. So I think that's point one. Sorry, I'm, I'm dragging on. That's fine. Uh, point two in terms of long-form content versus loads of Instagram posts. Mm. Um, I, I guess it kind of rolls on from, from point number one. I think as soon as you start getting too prescriptive, you end up destroying things. Like, why would you want long-form content? There has to be a greater overbearing reason why long-form content or why more posts. Again, it comes down to what is the objective for the campaign and how are you going to be able to deliver it? And also, 
who are the best influencers and what do they do? If they do long form content and their viewers like long form content, go and do long form content. If their viewers like other stuff, do that. But to get prescriptive seems to be missing the point. Okay. Are there any other questions? There's a question in the front row. Hi. So for the rest of the room, before you answer, I'll just sort of paraphrase. I won't do a good job, don't worry, but I'll just take your question. So it's, is it a too complicated landscape? Is influencer marketing too complicated? Are there too many businesses doing the same thing, was the question. For me, the, complex, the complexity arises not from there being too many companies, it being from this sort of intangibility of what actually is engagement. And I think not all engagement is equal and not all audiences are equal. Um, I'm maybe skipping slightly ahead here to kind of what's the future, um, but I kind of believe, I think quite a few other people do, that the future is kind of smaller influences with real engagement. So I might follow someone with 1,000 or 2,000 followers, but if they really talk passionately about a product, I will go there and I will value their opinion super highly. Um, and I think there's definitely confusion around kind of um, what you know is click-through rate really that important what is engagement is a like you know is like could be one person just hitting it straight away or really engaging with the content and commenting on it or sending it to their friend i think as a brand there's a kind of uncertainty around what you're actually getting from a campaign and and for us being a startup it's the main goal of our campaign hasn't necessarily been engagement or likes or comments it's been monitoring our people our people's awareness of our brand before the campaign and after the campaign so likes and comments are great and engagement is awesome, but it's kind of how many people after the campaign know us because their favorite influencers are working with us. And also I think that stems that kind of makes evident the really importance that the influencers we are working with now, we build good relationships with people that really care about our brand and a campaign not just be a finite campaign and work with them kind of into the future with people that really embody our values. Dom, did you want to come in on how, uh, how complicated is the landscape? Uh, yeah, so just to, just to build on Ben's point in terms of engagement, because I, I just want to clarify. Uh, when we talk about engagement, it's not engagement as, a, as an end result. It's because of a lack of transparency that means that you don't actually know what the reach of your campaign is unless you're working with someone with a business account or you've got kind of metrics in place. So engagement gives us an idea of how many people are seeing it as well as how many people are actually attentive to the message that we're sending. In terms of the point, is the market too complicated? Yeah, it's a bun fight at the moment. There are a thousand different approaches and a thousand different viewpoints on what is a good influencer campaign, what matters, is it follower number, is it engagement, is it click-throughs, what influencers can be used for, what's the most effective way of doing it. And, and actually what we've ended up with, um, and, I, and I think it's, we have this, this overarching viewpoint, I, I very strongly do, that influencers have the, the capability to really impact consumer behavior. Quite frankly, we wouldn't be talking about regulation if it didn't have the potential to impact consumer behavior strongly in the same way that you know medicines are really heavily regulated controversial statement alert homeopathy isn't very heavily regulated because one is definitely shown to work and one yeah um so that's so yes at the moment we know that it works but we don't necessarily know why and so what we need to do in the next couple of years and i think again a really unsexy comment but 2019 is all going to be about data and measurement and effectiveness studies. There needs to be big econometric studies done to show what approaches work, what's most effective, and that's when we're going to end up with agencies that steal 
a step forward and become the leaders in the market. And we're going to come up with norms in terms of how we deal with influencer marketing and what works. And some of it, I agree with Ben, is going to be about diversification, movement away from high-profile celebrity endorsements. There's going to be a lot of movement towards advocates. There's going to be some stuff continuing around micro-influencers. But yeah, we just need to figure out what works and then kind of direct the industry in that direction. Sophie, I'd love to jump to you on is it too complicated a landscape and your thoughts on what's next for influencer marketing? What does 2019 look like? Um, well, is it too complicated? I, you know what, I do think it is starting to get a little bit cloudy. Um, it, not a day goes by where I don't have some new influencer marketing platform that you've got to sign up for and they post their campaigns on and things like that. And personally, that isn't a method that I like to go through because I don't usually find, I usually find they take a too high percentage cut at the end the at the end of the campaign. It's a very cookie cutter approach to making a campaign. Um, they always kind of want the same kind of content. It's They don't really value you. You're valued more based on a number rather than you as a person and the content you're creating. So I kind of stay clear of that. And I, just feels like that's happening more and more so i feel like the landscape is getting a bit cloudy but i i do i hope that based on the whole data aspect of it all that things will start to clear up a bit more this year and that is something i really hope for because from my perspective i want to be able to choose a, a company to work with based on i just want to be able to create the best content that i can and i want to get the best the best result for the brand and the agency. So if a brand uh, agency comes to me and they've got all these data and these metrics and they want to really actually work with me on something rather than using me as a way to facilitate their campaign, then that to me is a, a great step forward. So in terms of going forward this year, I do think micro-influencers really will come into their own a, a quite a bit. And I actually, without sounding kind of semi-bitter I do hope that um, reality TV people and celebrity endorsements do kind of go down a bit because I personally don't find I don't really uh, they, they they lack the authenticity that I think micro-influencers and smaller smaller bloggers and whatnot tend to have and I think I know we're coming away all the, it all comes back down to authenticity and like believability and things like that I think I just made up the word believability but here we go I like it and <laughs> I will use it nice Jason any thoughts on 2019 and influencer marketing what, what are you looking out for? What do you suspect may happen? What do you want to happen? Well, what, what we'd like to happen is, uh, is, is everyone <laughs> reads our guidance and they, and they don't mess about trying to find some kind of funny little loophole so that people end up uh, having a, a less authentic experience and being misled. And at the end of the year, we've got yet another investigation we've got to do. Because, you know, much as it may surprise people, we, d we don't just want to keep looking at... Um, uh, online reviews, endorsements, and uh, influencers. We've got other stuff as well we'd like to do. So uh, it, it's it's lovely when you can see a sector where you've had an intervention and you think, okay, now it's it's working nicely and, you know, it, it, we don't need to keep on looking at it. And so that's what I'd like to see. Cool. Ben, some future gazing time. I know you've kind of touched on it. What will 2019 bring for you and more broadly for influencer marketing? I think uh, for Tenzing, it's going to be kind of long-term relationships. We're already starting to try and really get partnerships with people that really care about us. Um, and we've had a few actually from day one since we were a completely, completely new company of influencers that did it for free and just love the product. And those are the kind of people that we're trying to almost, the campaign is almost a kind of search for those people that really care about us and to work with them into the future because I think it's all about credibility with influencers. Um, in terms of the market, I think it's definitely moving towards, you know, 
micro influencers, people that are small, but their their audience is incredibly engaged and they kind of hang on every word. Cool. Dom, I know we've touched upon a bit of 2019. What, what are your thoughts? Um, so I'd, I'd say measurement and data. Uh, and then at, at, at the risk of sounding like a robot, uh, data again. But data in terms of audience composition into it in terms of who it is that we're reaching if if influencer marketing is really going to stand up against the likes of tv the likes of digital marketing which have huge data sets to prove their efficacy but also um kind of audience then we really need to take a lead on that i think it's it's really notable that two of the biggest marketing uh individuals within two of the biggest companies mark pritchard from png and, and keith weed from from unilever are talking very publicly about influencer marketing. Now, that means that now influencer marketing isn't something which kind of gets picked up as, a, as an afterthought by someone who's you know 25 and understands the industry. It means that people in their 40s who lead marketing bits of big companies expect to see it on the plan. And as that expectation rises, the, we need to be delivering more. So data and, and creativity because I feel like I've underplayed that like creativity is really important and I do really care about it I'm sorry no that's fine I just want to pick up on something Sophie said Sophie your point on platforms um, is it the programmatic approach so you don't mind your data being on a platform it's just when you're dealing and doing those partnerships all via a platform yeah absolutely don't mind my data being there if that's the easiest way for a company to obviously see it that's great but I, when you get an email from someone that oh can we respond on the platform and all the chats there it's just I'd rather just have it on email and I feel in terms for me what's really important is having the relationship with a PR with a with a with a brand it's with having that relationship with the client and I find that on platform platforms there is zero relationship they're there it's you're, you're there for a business transaction essentially and that's not really what i'm after okay tom is there a is there a you view a wave maker view on this kind of quasi programmatic approach to influencer marketing i know it's a geeky question but i'm interested i mean i feel like the perfect perfect <laughs> candidate uh i i think i mean for, for all i've talked about making sure that the influencers are right based on data. There is nothing that works quite as hard as as feel. All of those uh, very immeasurable aspects, right, which define whether an ad campaign works or not. And it comes back to that Burnett and Field comment that I use way too much. Um, but it's really important that you have the trust of the influencer. The influencer has the trust of you because that's where the best work is going to get churned out. And I think when we talk about the fact we've, we've got two fighting forces, we've got kind of regulatory alignment and making sure that whatever gets pushed out on behalf of the brand fits within the law and making sure that everything is in alignment, but then also giving influencers the freedom to go and produce the content that they know from thousands of posts that their audience want to see. And so there's always going to be a kind of, a bit of control and a bit of freedom. And that is only ever going to be mitigated by having really strong relationship with influencers. Got it. Christy, some future gazing time. What will 2019 bring to influencer marketing? Um, I think it's echoing probably a little bit of what everybody said. So obviously it's um, ever growing and therefore I think it's becoming a much more established part of the media mix. Um, just interesting, I was chatting to someone this morning from Liberty who's been appointed you know, to lead their influencer marketing. So that's a really old, traditional, established brand and they've clearly sort of recognised the value um, and, and kind of that's how people today engage. 
So, you know, why not? But I think what's come with that, which other people have alluded to, is as it matures, then it starts to face the sort of the same sorts of questions and challenges that actually every other part of digital advertising is wrestling with, whether it's fraud, whether it's transparency, whether it's brand safety, whether it's particularly measurement. And these are all questions that all of the parts of the industry are really um, trying to figure out as well. Similar things, you know, it's not just not just measuring what you can because you can, you know, click-through rates are... I think everybody sort of says, oh, they're pointless, but still everybody does it. So I think I think it's as it matures, it's kind of um, for influencer marketing to sort of develop its own responses to all of those challenges. And that's, you know, that should be thought of as a good thing, I think, that you're in that place, sure. that you're starting to think about these much bigger, more challenging questions is, is a positive thing. Rose, any thoughts on what 2019 will bring for influencer marketing? Yeah, lots of thoughts. Um, I think it definitely, as Sophie also mentioned, um, moving away from kind of those platforms that spits out hundreds and hundreds of uh, the same kind of flat lay images. Um, and I think that's probably a social tendency as well, like less about the glossy image and more about personality. I think we're moving towards people having personalities, opinions, less about that glossy, everything looks fine kind of um, image that is still a lot on my feed anyways, but I'm, I'm looking at the captions, I'm looking at the messages, I'm looking at people's political point of views, people's like ethics, morals, stuff like that. So I think that's definitely where we're going creatively. And then um, what Dom said, data. Um, that's very much what's on my mind as well. I think um, for so long, this has been sat in, influencers sat kind of in a PR um, section, whereas we're moving definitely more over to the marketing and that's just making a shift in terms of how much data we need from campaigns and do you guys know what audience you're reaching with an influencer? I think that's like the number one question you should all be asking yourself. Cool. Well, look, that's one minute to 10 and I've been told to wind up at 10 o'clock. So I'll just slightly conclude with that. I'll conclude with this. One is there are some social circle team members hovering around. The consultancy team would love to, to chat about an influencer marketing workshop. I know the platform team would love to chat about what our platform does. Um, you can also register for a free trial on the platform. The only other thing that I would say is do follow Social Circle on our social channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, we're everywhere. But um, just to find out when the next one of these panels and debates will be. Um, but with that said, that's it. I'd, all I'd like you to do is thank our awesome panel. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you.